Well, hello everybody. Allison Morrow here with A Podcast. Thanks for listening today. This is the podcast that talks all about the southern resident killer whales, J-Pod, K-Pod, and L-Pod. And today we have Jeff Hogan, who is a research associate with NOAA, does all kinds of field research on the southern resident killer whales, but also started a group called Killer Whale Tales. It's a basically an organization, Jeff, you can kind of explain this later, that tries to get children interested in Southern Resident Killer Whale uh, recovery. I'm guessing, like you told me before, so that not just they can participate, but they can get their parents excited about it too. Um, is it okay if we start with NOAA so that people can kind of understand just the work you're actually doing yourself with these whales and maybe what you've learned over the time that you've been uh, working with them? Yeah, that sounds great. Thanks for having me on. I'd be uh, glad to talk about that. Wonderful. So let's just start with when you started doing work with NOAA. Like, what exactly are you doing, and what's the goal? Okay. Well, my field research uh, actually starts back in 2000, so I've done multiple projects. But if you want to focus on the NOAA stuff specifically, uh, I've been working with them uh, over multiple years on the DTAG project. So I don't know how much your listeners know about that project, but... Essentially, you're taking a tag uh, that you suction cup on the side of a whale, and the question that's being asked is, what's going on underwater? What are they hearing? What are they experiencing? What are they doing? So the first part of the DTAG project started uh, a few years ago, and we were trying to get daytime data, particularly in the summer in the San Juan Islands. So we'd stick the tag on the whale. Um, the whale would dive with the tag, and the goal was, as I said a moment ago, was to really understand what their life is like underwater. How fast are they swimming? What direction are they pointing? Um, what are they doing underwater? How much time are they foraging? How much time are they resting? What are they hearing underwater? What are they saying to each other? So the, that study wrapped up a couple years ago, but this year um, a new phase of it has started, and we're trying to do the same project. We're trying to get overnight data using the same tags. Uh, no one really knows for sure what these whales are doing overnight. Are they eating? Are they sleeping? Um, and so this new project is attempting to answer that question with a mind on uh, if they really are sleeping and resting at night. There's a discussion, particularly with our Canadian counterparts, about uh, changing shipping through the area so as to keep the area as quiet as possible to let these wells to get, obviously, some of their basic needs met, including sleeping. So that's the gist of the latest projects I've been doing um, with the wells um, with through NOAA. So let me ask, over the time that you've been working on this, what have you seen change and what surprised you? Like, there have been things I'm sure you've set out to learn that perhaps maybe you didn't expect. We're just curious about that. Oh, my gosh. Um, I kind of learned that we don't really know much about these whales at all. Um, I know everyone feels a deep connection with these animals, but I often tell students what we know about these animals could, you know, fit on the back of our thumbnail. So I'm constantly surprised, um, you know, whether it's, what came out of the last DTAG project was is we're starting to realize that they're eating much more frequently than we know them to be because they're eating at depth. And mostly what we've seen is, you know, they'll bring a, a fish to the surface and tear it apart. So we know they obviously chased and caught that fish, but we're finding that there's a lot of other hunting opportunities and successes that are happening outside of our view. So I thought that was um, pretty amazing. I'm really interested to find out what they are doing at night. I think it's, you know, we can all do a lot of guessing about what is happening, but I'd really like to be able to, you know, quantify exactly what's happening overnight. Where are they at? What are they doing? Are they hunting? If so, how? If it's different than during the day, I think there's a lot of cool data that's going to come out of this D-type project. 
with the unknowns that you're talking about, we have this governor's task force that's trying to figure out how to keep these whales from going extinct. How do you reconcile those two, you know, making these policy changes, I guess, with still such little information specifically about the whales? Or do you feel like we have enough information at this point to intelligently act? I think we have enough data to at least move in the direction of acting. I think, you know, I think you and I have talked about this in the past. As I, I think we know enough to say, look, fish, fish, lack of fish is an issue. We've got to work on that. Um, you know, noise is an issue. We've got to work on that. Toxins is an issue. I think we know enough in those areas. When I'm speaking about what we don't really know is like, you know, we don't know a lot of the nuanced stuff. Um, I know when I was participating in the Soundwatch program, Several years ago, you know, there was a lot of um, concern and questions about, you know, the effect of boating on whales. And we went to the public meetings and, you know, it seems kind of obvious that, well, you know, poorly driven boats probably affect whales, for, you know, in a bad way. But at those meetings, everyone was like, kept asking, well, where's the data? Where's the proof? Where's the information? So I think you're kind of caught a little bit between is there enough information to act? And if there is off on the other side will say, well, that's not enough data. So I think we're always looking for information. And the more information we have, the more informed and nuanced the decisions can be. But, you know, to say that we're ever going to have enough information to know everything there is to know about these animals, I think that's that gray area. Well, I think it's kind of interesting because that is sort of where this killer whale tales, just from what I know of it, kind of makes me think of what we're talking about right now because I found as an environmental journalist that the data and the science and you know years of trends and documentation matters a lot when you're a policymaker who's passing some kind of regulation but when you're a human being who's just trying to make independent and responsible decisions for conservation, you don't necessarily need to know something is a 9 out of 10 or a 7 out of 10. If you know that it's directionally bad or good, you can just start making those choices yourself. And that seems like that was kind of the idea that you had with Killer Whale Tales was to start telling children that what they're doing and how they think about these whales really does matter. Well, it does matter. And I think, you know, there's signs everywhere that if we make space for wildlife, wildlife comes back. I mean, it's, it's across the board. Uh, eagles, uh, even the transient killer whale population in this area, seals, uh, you name it. We make space, you know, things can change. Nature can heal. And it's just, you know, it's hard for kids to hear that, you know, you have this dying animal. Uh, oh, my gosh, global climate change. It's kind of overwhelming. And the goal for me has been is like, look, you know, here's the data, here's the information, here's what we know or what we think is the best practice right now. What do you think and can you help? And, you know, like you said earlier, kids are, it's very matter of fact for a child to say, yeah, I love this thing. I want to do something to help it. So I'm going to do whatever that takes. There's not a lot of questioning there. Um, So, yeah, I wanted to get kids involved. But at the same time, like you mentioned earlier, I want them to go home and be the advocates or to ask the questions or to start the conversation with their family about what are we doing? What are, what are the choices that we're making in our home and how are they impacting the environment around us? And can we make better informed decisions? And can we, you know, Hey, we know, or at least we think this is bothering the wells. Can we at least cut back and give this a chance to recover? And you know, if 
that wasn't one of the things that, uh, you know, they needed, well, at least we tried something. And, you know, bottom line is it, it's got to be about hope. Um, it's, it's, it has to be because otherwise it's inaction. So, yeah, I think you, you want to inspire the next generation. You want them to care. You want them to have the best information, and you want them to be good decision makers because eventually they're going to be the ones that are in charge around here. And I'm hoping we're leaving them enough left to have something to make you know decisions with and decisions for. Maybe you could first just tell us how Killer Whale Tales works. So back in 2000, when I first uh, got involved, um, I was writing an article um, about these animals. And what struck me during the research of that article was that a lot of the information about the southern residents in 2000 wasn't getting out. Uh, the Internet was obviously fairly new. Most everything we heard was on TV or was in print. And when I was doing the research, I was just shocked that, one, I hadn't heard of this issue, and, two, I was starting to realize the stuff that I had heard, half of it was wrong. So um, I decided, you know what, i got to get involved. First of all, let's get the word out. Let's get the correct word out, um, or at least the best guess and times word out and get people involved. And so I just kind of looked at, you know, what my skill set is and what uh, my talents are. Um, I'm a teacher. I have been for a long time. Photographer, storyteller, uh, obviously into research. So I kind of just made a big burrito of all that and said, okay, I'm going to get kids involved. I'm going to get them involved not only in the conservation of these animals, but in science as well, get them interested in research and give them the best information I can give so that they can go home and make an informed decision. So that was really the genesis of the project, was to get kids involved and to get them going home and, like I said, have that conversation about environmental footprints and helping these whales at home. From the time that you started it to now, how has it grown? How have the kids received it? Have there been any challenges along the way that you said, okay, I had to sort of change how I talk to kids about this particular issue? I work with about 10,000 kids a year, 10 to 12 depending on the year, between here and California. Um, I've seen change. I mean, I was talking to somebody the other day, uh, you know, because obviously the news is often bad, but in the time that, you know, I've been doing this program, you've seen an uptick in families using uh, organic food, and that goes across all, um, you know, income spectrums. I've seen an increase in recycling, um, an increase in composting. Um, I've seen a lot more thought put into water consumption and electrical consumption than when we started. So I think things are changing. Um, you know, it's always challenging to um, reach everyone to, uh, I mean, like I said, it's, I'm a one-person show. Um, so it's kind of challenging for me to get all over the state to share this information. So, you know, we're looking into technological ways to make it possible for me to do online classes. So I think there's a lot of information. There's a lot of people that want a lot of information, and reaching everyone um, is often difficult. Um, you know, and I think the other thing that's difficult is, you know, we've been working really hard to recover this animal since, at least my group, since 2000, and obviously, see, we're, in the pop we're watching this population slide, and we're seeing them at the lowest point they've been in quite some time, and it's often hard. How do you frame the presentation uh, when you know what you're doing is, you know, maybe not having as much effect as you want it to. So I've kind of adopted the idea that it's a, it's a quilt, that, you know, the solution to this isn't let's tackle the big problem and, you know, everything will be fine. I just ask kids to go home and take care of their little, their little square of the quilt, which is, you know, their home. 
and together we'll knit a quilt that, you know, hopefully someday will lead to significant recovery of this animal. But it's always hard to stand in front of kids and tell them this amazing thing that they, you know, connect with and care for almost instantly is not doing as well as we all want it to. Did you talk to them about J35 when she was pushing her calf around, uh, her dead calf, or J50, for instance, and what happened with that and her eventual death? I'm just curious. I mean, we in the news business are always asking, how do we talk to kids about these really terrible events that are so sad? Did you discuss those, and how did you do it? Well, so far, you know, I just started my presentations, usually start October 1st, because, you know, it takes a while for the you know, school to get settled in and teachers to get, you know, up to speed. So I haven't had a lot of opportunity to discuss either of those two issues. It's come up twice. Um, And in general, it's, I just be as matter of fact as possible. I mean, J50 obviously was struggling for quite some time. Um, Not every animal makes it. Um, And, you know, kids are sad, but I think they also understand that. I think the J35 situation is a little bit harder to understand because, you know, a lot of the initial, you know, thought or discussion was like, oh, she's so sad. You know, she's, she's just hanging on and so sad and so sad. And I, and I kind of feel it's almost the opposite of sad. It's, it's more tragic in the fact that it was almost to me hope, you know, J35 hoping that the next time that she brought the calf to the surface, um, it would breathe. Um, and so, you know, I don't get into nuanced, deep discussions with kids around that, but a class and I did have that discussion the other day. And, you know, I, th- I think we have to let them uh, talk about what they think actually happened instead of telling them, because the kids have some great ideas and some nice thoughts about, you know, the connections of these animals, which, you know, are obviously based in their, you know, their experiences with their own family. So letting the kids talk about it, giving them the facts, um, is the best way I think to deal with it and just being open and honest with them and really just listen to them because they want to be heard. And, you know, whether we have the answers or not, as long as they're participating, at least in the grief or the trying to understand the situation, I think that's the best way to deal with the kids. So since you're in the business of helping kids help their parents, uh, and help the world do better by these whales, what are some of the things that you talk to them about that all of us can take with us today? It's a bit cliche, but, you know, I, I asked the kids, how many of you are reducing, reusing, recycling the three R's, and this year I added in repairing. Um, I mean, that's, to me, that's the solution. We have to reduce our footprint. Um, I ask kids to go home and, you know, monitor their water consumption. So they literally will time their showers, or they'll stick a ruler in the bath, and they'll literally try to cut back in the amount of water they're using. You know, you, you have them take a look at their electrical consumption. And, you know, for a kid, they they have a part they can play. I mean, they're not the ones paying the bills, but, you know, they can be the ones shutting off lights, turning off devices that aren't being used. You know, kids are also great to talk with about organic food. And like I said, I've seen a big uptick in that as well. Um, and getting involved. These kids, uh, you know, I often have kids writing letters to government officials, you know, just making sure that their voice is heard. Um I think that's the key, and I think we can all do that. And it's been great that the governor's task force has been, you know, open to commentary and, you know, public feedback. But I think we all have to get involved because, like I said, it's a quilt. If we each take care of our little square, you know, no matter what it looks like, we're going to, you know, if we don't make progress, we're going to at least be able to say we tried 
and hopefully, you know, we'll be better informed next time we have to make a decision like this or regarding animals like this. So if people want to get involved with Killer Whale Tales, how can they do that? They can just go to the website, uh, killerwhaletales.org. Um, it's a good, uh, if you want to bring the, the program to the, your kid's school, you can pull the drop-down menu. Um, the teachers can register there. We're completely grant-funded and uh, supported so that we don't charge any of the schools at all. Really, the only thing that we ask is if we visit the school is that, you know, we'll do our presentation, our storytelling, and our games. We'll pass out our ORCA cards as long as the kids are willing to go home and make their homes ORCA safe. So just check out the website. Uh, there's some information there about, you know, whales in general, but if you really program specific, you can go right to the registration page. Okay, so I ask a lot of people this at the end. Are you hopeful for the southern resident killer whales? <laughs> um, yeah. I am. Um, again, I, I like I said earlier, it's like, you know, it's daunting, and I think it's a dark period right now, um, and I think it's hard to talk about, and it's hard to watch, but that's true for so many things in the world today. But at the same time, I do know, and I have seen, that if we make space for these things, they do come back, and that's always there. The question is, will we make the space? And that's kind of what my program's all about, is like, we... I feel it's important to make the space. The kids I work with feel it's important to make the space. So anytime I run out of fuel and I start to feel a little down and blue, you know, I head to a school, uh, talk to the kids, and, yeah, I do have hope. I mean, they do too, and that's very um, intoxicating and very easy to uh, assimilate um, that hope and that uh, at least a willingness to try and an open mind, and that's what I think kids are great with. And they say it's always darkest right before the dawn, I guess. And children certainly seem to be more at least open to possibility than sometimes we adults are. Well, I, I think, I mean, of course, you know, they, they don't have the responsibilities that we do. And life is a little bit more simplistic for them. But the earnestness and the, uh, the matter of fact, you know, hey, here's the problem. I mean, they, they come up with so many ideas and, you know, Oddly enough, a lot of the ideas they come up with, we adults, you know, come up with later. Um, but they're just so pragmatic and so willing to be like, hey, you know what? I can help. I can do something. I can feel empowered. And, you know, it is hard to talk to kids about all this heavy environmental stuff. But giving them something to do and letting them feel like, you know, they're important. They're a part of the calculation, I think. Um, yeah, it's a big thing. And I want them to grow up still feeling that way and you know i want them to have hope if they don't have hope then why are we doing all this so well jeff hogan of killer whale tales we are certainly thankful for all the work you do helping kids see how important our orcas are and uh glad to have you on the podcast today yeah anytime i appreciate it thank you